There's a whole new industry which has sort of been developing since about uh, 2010, and that is the industry of influencers. Uh, these are people who have uh, significant social media platforms, and they become the ones who sort of set the trends throughout uh, the that we might see in society. And, and so they, they have a, an influence on those around them. It's kind of a, a replacement for product endorsement, you know, the, uh, you know, where someone gets up and goes, I, I drink Coke because it makes me feel awesome, or, you know, where you get a celebrity sort of going, you know, I wear this kind of clothing or whatever and so forth, that kind of product endorsement or product placement that you might see in movies, you know, where the you know, particular you know, hero drinks a particular drink or something like that, where it's that sort of sense of like it influences people's perspective on what they, how they see things and what products they deem to be worthy. And the same is now true within social media for those who have uh, a number of followers either on Instagram or Snapchat or, Snapchat or whatever platform people use these days that, you know, there are just you know, different ways in which that influence happens, you know, where, where they sort of take the, the opportunity to, to promote something or put something forward and, uh, and it actually starts to influence uh, how people respond to that. I was just reading an article uh, last night, I think it was, just on uh, one of the websites there about um, how one particular uh, Instagram person uh, wore a bikini and then um, basically the next day that brand of bikini sold out because this particular person wore it. And so that kind of influence we see in society, that it just sort of happens. And it works both ways, doesn't it? Not only positive affirmations for things, but also when you know, someone does something negative through their social media platform or whatever, we kind of see a negative influence as well. But there are all sorts of things in our lives that influence us and how we see the world and how we engage in the world around us. Um, in our lives, there are people, there are events, there are circumstances that really influence how we choose to engage in the world, how we understand the world, how we are present within the world that we live in. But it also impacts how we see God and how we understand God to be. The title for today's message is The Most Important Thing About You. So today it's all about you. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Um, sounds fascinating. And what's more interesting is that I know what the most important thing about you is. Some of you are going, yeah, I don't believe you. Well, we'll find out. A couple of months ago, Jude launched uh, 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 her book club, uh, a book for her book club, which was called The Good and Beautiful God. And uh, that's been running for um, what, about a month or, or five or six weeks now that that's been running. And, and through July, we're going to take some of the large concepts from that book and just sort of, I guess, make sure that we can see those in our broader context, not only those who are sort of engaged in the book club and those who are reading it, but we want to just sort of bring some of those ideas uh, to the broader community about how we engage with that. And today we're looking at how the Holy Spirit is a key part of our lives and how that's engaged in our lives uh, in doing that. But before we uh, get to the Bible passage today, do you want to know what the most important thing about you is? You don't? Okay. All right. Well, I'll just stop now and uh, we can go home early. Do you want to know what the most important thing about you is? Sorry? Well, that's one thing. But actually, it's a little different to that, Kate. It is uh, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. So what you think about God is the most important thing about you because that influences how we actually engage with God. Because, you know, sometimes 
we think the most important thing about us is where we might live or the job that we might have or uh, the car we might drive or how much money we've got in the bank. That's the most important thing about us. And, you know, or even Kate's perspective that we are loved by God, that that's the most important thing about us. But who we understand God to be changes the way how we choose to engage with God. You see, in knowing how we engage in God is influenced by what we think of God. Let me give you uh, another example. When I went to high school a few years ago, uh, it was, you know, for me a good day was when you never heard your name called. Right? That was a good day where the teacher wasn't calling out your name, my name in particular. Because essentially if my name was being called out at school, it probably meant that I was maybe somewhere where I shouldn't have been, which sometimes happened. Uh, it might have meant that I was not doing something what am I trying to say? That I was probably doing the wrong thing, which sometimes happened. Or it meant that the teacher was going to ask me a question that I probably didn't know the answer to, which often happened. And so for me, going through high school was like, if you can fly under the radar, if you can make sure that, you know, you aren't sort of picked out or noticed or something like that, that was a, a good uh, place for me to be. That was kind of my experience of high school. You know, fly under the radar and, and, and get through, keep your head down essentially. And what I've found is as my kids have gone through high school is that they come home and they talk about these amazing relationships they have with their teachers. It's like if they could hang out with their teachers, they would. They would have far rather hang out with their teachers than they would with me. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like teachers at all. Because they just had this great relationship where they were really affirming of their teachers and enjoyed being in their presence in their company. And, and it was just... You know, it, it, it totally baffled me. Now, some of you might be thinking, Clayton, you're making this up. No, it's true. To prove my point, Roz was at a, um, a training event recently, and it was about student well-being. And one of the presenters there was talking about when she was trained for teaching that, you know, one of the things that they were taught was you don't smile until Easter. If you get a new class, you don't smile at them until Easter. So you can imagine how going through school where teachers were not smiling at you before Easter, that, that really set up a, a dynamic of this is someone I need to be afraid of. This is someone who isn't necessarily on my side. You could do the best thing in the world and they wouldn't smile at you. Now, my understanding is that that's changed significantly. Is that right, Jess? Is that, yep, you don't have that philosophy? No, I can't imagine you not being able to smile at all, actually, regardless. So, uh, but, you know, but that sort of sense. So, so that backs up my theory that when I went to school, the main driver was be afraid of the teacher. And that was kind of my dynamic of how I understood my relationship. Um, and for my kids, there's a change in teaching philosophy and, and they just sort of really enjoyed being present with their teachers. And it changed the dynamic of how they chose to engage or how we might choose to engage. And so that also flows over as we think about how do we un who do we understand God to be? Because the picture that we have of God changes the way we actually choose to engage with God. If we have a particular picture of God where we think, well, you know, he's harsh and mean and cruel, well, we're not really going to want to gravitate to him. And we might believe that God loves us. We might believe that God loves us. We see it in the cross. But if we have an underlying narrative that, well, actually, yes, he loves us, but he's also a bit harsh as well, so we kind of need to keep that in balance. But how do we change that? How do we move to a place where we can have a different idea of who God is? 
the book that we're sort of working through is the good and beautiful God. And would we, are they the words that we would choose to describe God when someone talks to us about who is God and who is Jesus? Well, we naturally gravitate to the idea that, well, Jesus is good and beautiful. For some of you, that might, that might naturally be where you go. That's just been your experience. But we want to talk about some of this today. And we want to look at it through the lens of how the Holy Spirit influences us in how we can engage with God and understand God. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking for John 14, starting at chapter 15, uh, verse 15. So John 14, starting at 15. And this is where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to the disciples. So John 15, sorry, John 14, starting at verse 15. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. He leads, leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I have also, uh, since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father. And you are in me, and I am you in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but another disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself to only us and not the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember my words are not my own words. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will and will remind you of everything I have told you. So this is Jesus preparing the disciples for when he will ascend and is no longer with them. That there will be another who will come, the Holy Spirit. So what does this passage have to do with the idea that the most important thing about you is what you believe about God? Well, the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, that was given to the disciples is one that the Holy Spirit would come and he would lead us to truth, as it says in verse 17. Lead us into all truth. And he will come and he will never leave us. So there are two big concepts to begin with. After Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and filled the believers. Each believer is promised the Holy Spirit, as we read in Acts 2.38. We read that... When we turn to Christ, when we commit our lives to him, we receive the Holy Spirit. So each of us that has made that step of faith has received the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is present within us. This is a promise to every believer. 
and one we need to take seriously. One we need to recognize that as a follower of Jesus, as one who's put your trust in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit with you. The same Holy Spirit that was present at creation, the one who empowered the early church, that same Spirit is within each of us. Now here's the thing about the Spirit. It's not like it gets diluted over time. It's not like that every time someone else comes to faith, it gets the vital out a little more and a little more and a little more. It's not like we just sort of keep topping it up with water to make it go a little bit further. You ever done that at home? You know, you just want the cordial or the juice to go a bit further. You go, we'll just add a bit of water just to make it stretch a bit further. That's not what happens with the Holy Spirit. It's not like it just keeps getting watered down and watered down, that the version that we have now, some 2,000 years since uh, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that we've got a watered-down version of the Holy Spirit. Not at all. The same Holy Spirit that was present in Acts that empowered the early church, that helped the church spread, is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have present in our lives. And we also need to re- remember that the Holy Spirit is given for a purpose. And we read this in Acts, uh, in the reading, in verse 26 from our reading today. It says, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of the things of Jesus. That the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that Jesus has taught us things. That he has said things that we need to be reminded of that we wouldn't forget them, that they are true and present with, with us. This is important when it comes to how we see God or who we understand God to be. Because if we have a skewed perspective on who God is, then the Holy Spirit can remind us of who Jesus is. Because we know that in Jesus we saw the fullness of God, that he showed us in very real and tangible ways what the very heart of God When it talks about God being a gracious God, we just look at the life of Jesus through the Gospels and we get the sense of this is what grace looks like in our world, face-to-face, human-to-human, of forgiveness and kindness and generosity that we see in Jesus. I want to show you an image of a triangle, hopefully. There we go. Um, So these are the three things that we're kind of going to focus on a little bit today. In the middle, you'll notice that there is the Holy Spirit and that that is a key part of what happens in our lives. But there are three areas. So the narratives of Jesus, participating in community and engaging in soul training exercises. So the Holy Spirit is present in all of these things. It's a key role in helping us understand God as Jesus understood God to be. I want to read from Romans 8. 15 to 16, this is what it says. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The idea that what has been said here in Romans is the is that we're adopted into a family, that we aren't slaves who are in fear of the ruling master, but we are actually now children in the family of God. And as children in the family of God, that we are actually able to use the words of intimacy of Abba Father, which is a, a word of intimacy of being known by the Father. 
not a slave and master, but that sense of being close to God. So we need to recognize that, that what we see is the Holy Spirit draws us to a place where we can come in a place of intimacy with God the Father and that our language towards him should be a language of intimacy, not of distance and separation. The Holy Spirit is there to help us to see that we can come close to God, that he is good and kind and welcoming. This matters when we start to think about how do we choose to engage with God? God wants us to draw close to him and connect and be willing to be present with him. And so we need to have that understanding of that God is good and kind and faithful, a good and beautiful God. And so understanding the narratives of Jesus, of how did he see God the Father, and adopting those into our own lives has to be a core part of this. So when we read through the scriptures, we read that Jesus would draw aside to be with the Father. There was a desire that Jesus had to to be in the presence of God was good, of God the Father. It was good, it was helpful, it was meaningful, and it was something that he gravitated towards. And for us as disciples of Jesus, that's kind of the heart that we need to have. To draw aside and to be present with God the Father is a good, generous aspect of our life. That we don't just go there to to say we're sorry because we've messed up again. We don't just go there to, to seek forgiveness. But we actually draw close because God is interested in us. That he, he does love us. And because he loves us, he is for us, not against us. And so that's a really important part, adopting the narratives of Jesus. And then we move on to participating in community. Now, this is a, a really significant one for us. We live in a time and in a particular society where the rights of the individual are the most important thing. You know, my rights are the most important thing. But what we see in the Christian context is that we are actually invited into a place of community, which means that we will set aside our personal rights for the greater good of a larger community, that we will be connected with others. I was in a conversation with someone during the week and they're involved in the coach program, which is a community mentoring program, which we're uh, hopefully launching um, later this year here at Mosaic. And as part of that conversation, his statement to, to us was that the biggest challenge in society is that of social isolation. That what we see in our world now is that there are more and more people who might be surrounded by people but are actually isolated because people don't know them and they don't know other people. They live on their own. And when they travel to and from work, they've probably got their headphones on so they're not talking to anyone. They do their work and then they go back to their home, which is empty, which is just them again. And so we see more and more now that there are more and more people which are socially isolated. And so the idea of community has to be one of the stronger factors that we have to be willing to participate in that we have to be actually seeking to engage in it. It doesn't just automatically happen. We actually have to choose community because we're living in a society now where community is actually undervalued, where the rights of the individual is the most important and the rights of the whole community seem to be further down the list. And so we need to see that we need to turn up to community. And that's an important part. 
the Holy Spirit helps us to see that we're, we're not in it for what we get, but we're in it for what we can contribute. Because if we only ever turn up to something for what we get out of it, what happens when we get a little dissatisfied? And, oh, I'll, I'll look for something else where, I can, where my needs will be met, rather than recognizing we actually have something to contribute. When we meet together on a Sunday, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And that's why I'd really encourage you that when we, you know, when we meet over morning tea, hospitality is a great thing that we celebrate here. But hospitality isn't just designed so that we can talk about you know, the events of the week. The time of hospitality is actually a time to go deeper with the conversations. To maybe ask someone, you know, How's, how has life been? Where has God been for you in this week? And maybe out of those conversations comes the opportunity to pray together. What would it look like over morning tea if you kind of were having a conversation with someone and they were kind of sharing that, well, it had been a difficult week. And if in that moment that we kind of had the courage and the desire to go, let me pray with you about that. I think sometimes we go, I'll pray for you, which is like I'll do it sometime later in the week. But what would it look like to be invited in let me pray with you? in that moment where we kind of hear one another's story where we choose to participate in what is happening around us and one of the things that we see is that each of us when we become followers of Jesus scripture tells us that we are given a gift now one of the really interesting things about when we talk about gifts particularly in the context of the gifts from the Holy Spirit is that most of the time when we get a gift it's for us right when someone comes and gives you a gift you open it up and normally it's for you, right? It's, it's something that you can enjoy, something that you get to, you know, take home and maybe you eat it or drink it or wear it or play with it, whatever it is. But it, it's for you. It's for your pleasure, your enjoyment. But what we notice when the Holy Spirit talks about as disciples, when we receive a gift from the Holy Spirit, it's actually not a gift for us. It's a gift for our community. If you have a gift of encouragement, that's not so you can sit around going, gee, I'm awesome. Thank you. It's actually a gift where you can encourage others, where you can go and speak to others. And when you see someone doing something, you just go up to them and go, you're awesome, you're doing a great job. That's the gift of encouragement. It's not just for you to puff yourself up and go, I'm the most encouraged person around. Or, you know, we've got Pip and Zoe and others who have shared this morning using their gifts of, you know, they learned skills and talents of music. And, you know, they could sit at home and have a great time together, but they come and they choose to be present with us and to share those gifts. And many of you should participate in that as well. We have gifts of serving and hospitality, open homes. And, and that, that, see, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us aren't for us. They're, for, they're not for us individually, but they're for us as a community. And to be able to share those gifts with our community is an important part. And we need to remember that being part of community requires more than just turning up. Now, if you, if you turn up and you, you come come a little bit late, you, you leave a little bit early so you don't actually get to the chance to talk to anyone. And after a while, if you're going to go, well, I'm not experiencing any community, there's a reason for that. You're actually not participating. I was thinking about it. My, my son, he, he plays rugby, and I thought, now he could turn up to training, but if he didn't participate in training, he's not really part of the team. He could turn up and stand on the sidelines and, and be present, but until he actually got involved in the, the training exercise that they had there, you're not participating. 
So I guess I want to encourage you when we talk about this idea of community, it actually requires us. It's, it's two ways. It requires us to participate, to be present with one another. Not just turning up and going, I'm here, but to be proactive. Find out what other people are doing around you in your community. Work out what it looks like to know others and to be known by others. And what are, what are the questions you want to know from other people? What are you willing to share with others? And that, that's a journey. You know, when you meet someone for the first time, you don't automatically go to your deepest, darkest secret, do you? The opening conversation, how are you? Well, let me tell you about the worst thing I've ever done. That's not normally how the conversation goes, is it? It takes time. You've got to build trust. You've got to find a way to, to engage and work that through. But participating in community is, is a key part of what it is to, to journey and understand who God is. Because as we sort of rub shoulders with one another, as we start to hear the stories of God and other people, it starts to shape how we see God. So if you're talking with someone and they're talking about how God has just been so good and present with them, how you know, he's provided in different ways, that starts to shape the way we see God. God is a provider. God does turn up. I see it in other people's faith that God is there and that God loves in very tangible, practical ways. So that's a, an important part there. And the last one is to engage in soul training exercises. What this basically means is don't just try and be a good Christian because, you know, we can try lots of things. We could try to do lots of things, but if you really want to, if you really want to engage with something, then you kind of need to train for it. If you want to grow in something, you don't just keep, you don't just try, but you train. For it. So that's it's the old concept of, you know, trying versus training. Greg's been doing a fair bit of running. Did you, you ran a marathon recently, last year sometime, a year ago? Now, three years ago, if you went, I'm just going to do a marathon, do you reckon you, you, maybe you could have run it? No. <laughs> but you did a lot of training to, to get to that place, you know, lots of putting the hours in and running and so forth and, and, and doing that. And yet sometimes when it comes to our faith, we think, oh, if we just try, it'll be okay without actually training our soul and the disciplines, the spiritual practices, to actually make those a priority in our lives. I know for Greg that when he was training for a marathon, that actually getting out and running had to take a big chunk of time. It became a priority in his life. I know that because I'm friends with him on Strava and I can see all the runs that he does and so forth. So so I know that to do that, it it takes priority. And so when we think about soul training... We, what are the disciplines, what are the spiritual practices that we actually put in place in our lives that help train our soul to engage with God? Because all around us, we need to recognize that the world will do everything it can to distract us from God. It will do all that it can to sort of take our eyes off the kingdom of God. We see it in the advertising. We see it in, as we watch uh, different shows and engage in that way. We, you know, even, as I said before, even now living in a society where the rights of the individual are paramount over the rights of a community, that that's, that's not the kingdom of God philosophy. 
And so we need to train our souls. We need to find the ways to be still, to be present. And the Holy Spirit is with us in those things. So when we take the, the training aspect and go, well, part of training the soul, the practice of that, is actually reading the Bible. Because reading the Bible actually helps us understand who God is and he can speak to us. And the Holy Spirit is present in that because as we read Scripture, we can find that it comes to life in different ways. I don't know about you, but sometimes there are passages that I've read you know, hundreds of times and then I read it and it's like, oh, wow. I've never seen that before. And that's the Holy Spirit at work in us. Just bringing to life, going, oh, that's something new that I haven't seen before in that. When we choose solitude, when we find that time to draw aside, I'm just going to be still. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us notice the still, small voice of God that will bring that affirmation of you, you are loved. The affirmation that you are worthy the affirmation that that you are a child of God. It's a still, small voice that the Holy Spirit brings to life in us. And when we choose to turn up to pray, it is actually the Holy Spirit that gives us the prayers to pray. Sometimes we think, oh, gee, I've got some good prayers on my heart today. Well, they come from God. It's God who inspires us to pray. And so they are the things that we need to be present with. As we talk about spiritual disciplines that help us train our soul so I guess I just want to encourage you as we look at this idea of a good and beautiful God that we'd be mindful that the the narratives of God that we carry in us shape the way we choose to be present with God and that's why another reason why it's really important to read scripture because if you only rely on what other people tell you about God probably getting a skewed perspective and so reading scripture will help you see god in a clearer light as you start to read the stories of jesus you start to get a sense ah this is who god is if you're just relying on me or jude or other preachers to tell you what god is like you're kind of getting our perspective that goes through our filter the how we see god and so reading scripture is really important to be able to help you notice what god is saying to you what's important for you to know about God and the kingdom of God. So this month we're going to be exploring this together. It's a, sp- a specific uh, series that is here at Gungarland across all our congregations. They have different series going on in July. Um, and so Gungarland is, is invested in this one. So I encourage you to, to, to make sure you come each week to, to get engaged and find out more about some of the stuff and how God is invested in us, how God is the good and beautiful God. And if you find something that challenges your perspective about God, I really encourage you to listen to that. Where you kind of go, I've never thought of God in that light before. To notice it and to to engage with it. And not just dismiss it or not just embrace it, but to actually go, why, why do I see it differently? What does that say about me? What does that say about God? And, and where is God leading me in it? Because ultimately... How we see God, how we understand God to be in our world influences the way we choose to be with him. And as a community of believers, part of our goal is what should be, how do we find ways to draw close to God? And are there things that are barriers to that that are in our lives? Let's pray together and then we're going to wrap up our time with a, a couple more songs together.
Lord, we are grateful for your scripture that speaks to us. We're grateful that Jesus came and has shown us ways in which we should engage with you, that you are a good and beautiful God. And we truly want to want that to be our story. That the God that we represent here, that we live out every day, will be so attractive that others around us would just have that longing to be able to go, who is the God that you follow? Because he seems to to be so loving and so caring. How, how do I discover more about this God? And Lord, I pray that you would help us to notice that how we maybe have skewed our perspective on who you are, where we've been negative influences in our lives that have shaped us in unhealthy ways, that we might be able to let those go, that we might be able to embrace a new story of who you are. And for those of us who live in the place where we recognize that you are good and beautiful and faithful and kind and generous, that that would overflow in our lives and become a real part of our community story. And God, help us to recognize the ways in which you're calling us to to train our soul. Not that we would just try harder, but that we would be intentional in finding ways to, to be with you, to nurture our soul, to enrich our soul, that we might become all that you call us to be. In Jesus' name.